Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name's Stuart and it's my privilege to be the minister here. Have you ever wondered where seeing the light, the phrase that we use to mean to recognise something is true, comes from? Well, it could come from our reading today, Saul's conversion. You know him better as St Paul. Our service today is led by Dr Anne Thompson, who's one of our elders and local worship leaders, and her husband Douglas brings us a reading. So let's listen now for that story of Saul's conversion. Today's reading is from Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 20. Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Aeneas. The Lord called to him in a vision, Aeneas, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas of Straight Street and ask for the man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Aeneas come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Aeneas answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Aeneas, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Aeneas went to the house and entered it. Placed his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Searingly hot, dusty, sweaty and busy are a few words that come to mind when I imagine that day on the road to Damascus where we find Saul of Tarsus. He was a man with a mission, with murderous thoughts on his mind. He didn't just dislike the followers of Jesus of Nazareth, he hated them. He breathed murderous threats with both his inhaled breath and his exhaled breath. This is the man who held the coats for and urged on the brutal murderers of St Stephen. 
But Stephen prayed for his murderers as he was dying. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. These echo the words of Jesus on the cross. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Saul watched on as they beat Stephen to death, committing a terrible atrocity. What causes Saul of Tarsus to convert to Paul the Apostle? People have tried to rationalise the event over the years in medical terms. Did he have a migraine headache? Was he suffering from heat stroke? Or did he have an actual stroke? Was it residual guilt from the murder of Stephen? We can postulate all kinds of theories, but at the end of the day, it comes down to what Paul believed had happened to him. And the evidence, if that's what you're looking for, is borne out in Paul's subsequent behaviour for the rest of his life, ultimately being executed for his beliefs. He spread the gospel around the known world at the time and his writings have influenced Christian theology down the ages. Paul's conversion is one of the most important world events. He has a feast day on the 25th of January, which is celebrated in many branches of Christianity. The road to Damascus has come into our common language as an idiom in daily conversation, which unfortunately takes away from the original event in all its magnitude. A few weeks ago, we talked about bad things happening to good people. Today, the story of Paul is sort of the reverse of that, a good thing happening to a bad person. What was this man's background? Tarsus was a a town on the eastern Mediterranean which rivaled Athens as a centre of philosophy and enjoyed culture from many influences. It was recognised by Alexander the Great for its strategic position and there were many thriving industries. The Jewish population in Tarsus had not followed their neighbours when the Romans tried to impose their deities on the population. They worshipped only one god and they came to a clever compromise and agreed with the Romans that they would pray for Rome and its emperor. So they managed to negotiate a better Pax Romanus than most of the others. This is the world that Saul grew up in. He was apprenticed to his father who was a tent maker and a leather worker and like his father he studied the Torah. He seems to have been an unusually gifted child, being able to recite passages of the Bible verbatim. He read widely, including the non-Jewish philosophers of the time, and there were lots of opportunities for reasoned discussion and arguments on the streets and engaging with anyone who was passing through the metropolitan Tarsus. He was steeped in the story of the Passover and his people's rescue from slavery and the long, dark narrative that follows. The Jews in Tarsus lived outside the Promised Land, and the Torah was their movable temple to be protected and defended at all costs as they waited for Israel's God to return. And that is why Saul of Tarsus persecuted Jesus' early followers. He saw them as a threat to the purity of the Jewish community. In his later letters, he states... I was extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. 
He was so blinded by his zeal that he couldn't see what his plan, the plan was for God when he gave Jesus to the world and only saw him as a threat and not the new covenant as it was. His lifelong loyalty was utterly right in his eyes, but utterly misdirected. He was fundamental about the law and there was very little room for movement. The law had become an end in itself. What was the conversion of Saul of Tarsus? It was not a conversion from an immoral life to a moral one, as we know Saul was a devout man and followed Jewish tradition and studied the Torah. It was not a conversion from the Jewish religion to Christianity, because these terms as we know them did not exist in the first century. He did not convert from one religion to another. That was not the point. It was about Jesus and his confrontation of Saul on the road to Damascus. On that hot, dusty road to Damascus, he encounters a blinding light and dramatically falls to the ground. We see him prostrate on his back and helpless. This is a reflex action, a fight or flight response that results in a surge of adrenaline through the body, heightening the senses, a survival instinct. He is addressed in the first person by Jesus, Saul, Saul, in the Hebrew that he would understand. Jesus was addressing him personally like a friend, which displays emotion. He says his name twice like a consoling parent. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He is imploring him, but not in a harsh way. Why do you persecute me? He asks him a question. It's not a command said from a place of anger or reproach. It's a personal question. Saul realises all this time he hasn't been persecuting men. He's been persecuting God. His conversion takes the focus off him and onto Jesus Christ. He is blind and helpless and must be led into Damascus, where he rests for three days, praying. What a humbling experience for him. He didn't eat or drink for three days, and during that time he must have questioned everything he thought he knew about God and what he wanted. God tasks a disciple in Damascus to go and see Saul, but his reputation had gone before him, and he knows that Saul intends to round up followers on the followers of the way and has sought authority to do so. Ananias says, Lord, I have many heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He must have felt very apprehensive and frightened when asked to do this. But God insists, saying, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. It took great courage for Ananias to go to see Paul, a Saul, as he would be suspicious in case it was a trap. But he laid hands on him and called him brother, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When he stood up, he could see again. 
and immediately wanted to be both physically and spiritually identified with Jesus and his disciples and was baptised and from that moment on became Paul the Apostle. What can we learn from Paul's conversion? Whenever we glimpse God, we recognise our smallness compared to his greatness. What is God's intention for us? When have we felt humbled and gone down a different path? God didn't just save Paul from something, he saved him for something. He and his disciples established churches all over the world. God can save anyone, even the most fundamental opponent of the way. We must never consider anyone unsavable. We usually don't have such dramatic encounters with God. Thankfully for us, it's not just a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and usually these events have been less dramatic throughout our lives. But these moments shape us and our future, however challenging they may be. In Christ, we all have a role to play in God's kingdom. Like Paul, we only have our faith to take out with us into the world. Have you been thinking about helping out or been asked to do something in the church? That's him giving you a nudge. We are meant to stand up for him and walk with him and allow him to use us. I've said it before, we can be jogging along in our lives thinking maybe God isn't in our lives or even worse that he's deserted us. That's when we need to keep praying and listen for that still voice, still small voice. Keep reading and talking to folk around you. God is constantly at work. He can work prayerfully and in small ways and big powerful ways. But in every moment, God can truly be extraordinary.
generous enlivening grace we are among the fortunate ones of the world who have received much and as such we know that much may be required of us we are grateful for both these things giving thanks firstly for the many blessings that we enjoy through accident of birth we have food and shelter we have access to education and health care we live in a relative security and peace Never must we take these things for granted or forget those who lack them. We have encountered the stories of Jesus and have, we believe, come to know you differently because of him. No longer do we imagine that we have to be perfect for you, to love us or include us in your plans. Jesus chose people despite their faults, possibly even because of them. Only when we have tried on our own and failed will we come to you for the help we need. So thank you for fresh starts and second chances. Thank you for having faith in us when we no longer believe in ourselves. But discipleship is not about introspection, not even about our own salvation. It is about caring for others and serving them in your name. 
and finding to our surprise that we are healed in the process. And so we turn our attention to a world in desperate need of your love and ours. There are hungry sheep who need to be fed, both literally and spiritually. Too many children cannot learn, even if they have a place in school, because they have no food in their bellies. Too many of those whose bellies are full have a desperate emptiness inside them, a hunger that only you can fill. Living God, we are heirs and successors of St Peter, who was told to prove his love for the shepherd by feeding his sheep. Help us to fulfil that commission in our time and place, to notice where there is a need to be met, a story to be heard, a broken heart in need of healing, or a companion needed for a difficult journey. May we make it our business as followers of the one who gave his life for us to spend our lives, however long or short they may be, in glad and willing service of others. For this we pray in the words that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever. Amen. Go with the blessing of God, creator, source and spirit with you this day and every day. Food Bank Collection is open every Sunday from 1pm till 2.30pm at St Ninian's Church. Your donations are very much appreciated and if you need food then please do come down between 1 and 2.30pm every Sunday and collect what you need. Delighted to say that our coffee mornings will be restarting on Tuesday the 3rd of May at 10am until 11.30am and then every Tuesday thereafter for a while at least until the end of June. So that's Tuesdays for our coffee morning from 10am till 11.30am and it's £2.50. On Saturday the 7th of May at 10am until 2pm there will be a craft fair in St Ninian's Church Hall. If you want a table then please contact Bob Miller and if not then please do come along and join in. There'll be loads of local artists, makers and creators selling their wares and also tea, coffee, cakes and a light lunch available. And the Guild are hosting Brian Taylor's Fashion Sale. That's on the 9th of May at 7.30 and tickets are priced £2.50 or you can pay at the door. That's the 9th of May at 7.30 for Brian Taylor's Fashion Sale with tickets £2.50 from the Guild Committee or you can pay at the door.